0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Trek, episode one hundred and twenty-two.
1: Captain Bridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender so is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise. This is James Kirk.
0: movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Move Along Home. Yes, we wow. finally reached that one. <laughs> Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy.
1: This isn't actually the worst episode from the first season. There is a worse one coming.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yes. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Cory.
2: Uh, how's it going? This is a, <laughs> one of these episodes. It's a great concept, but it's horribly executed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Folks, before we get into that, I do want to tell you to make sure, despite the, uh, our, our assessment of this episode of Star Trek, this is a, you know a, an opportunity to share the podcast with your friends. <laughs> Please let them know about the great episodes of Star Trek we discuss.
1: They can join us in despising this episode. I was going to mm-hmm. say, it's, it's sometimes... Misery loves the- company.
0: Lis- yep. Listening to us rant about bad episodes is pu- m- almost as much fun as uh, listening to us talk about the good ones, I suppose. Uh, but uh, <laughs> please share it with your tricky friends. Help them uh, join us in our in our misery. Actually, I have to admit, it- it's fun to kind of make fun. But this wasn't as bad no. as I remember. No, in fact. no. Yeah, There, there's th- there's aspects to it which are fun. And Father Corey, you kind of touch on that. There's an interesting concept here it's just some of the decisions they made about how to execute it were
2: less than fun. It's, it's kind of like a Jumanji is, I mean, is really what it's kind of meant to be of this, you know, you're sucked into this game and you have to basically play the game. They think to, to save their life, obviously spoiler. That's not what happens because it's just a game as they say at the end of the episode. But The idea, idea of the entire episode being where these important characters are trapped in this game and they have to, Basically, play the game, figure it out to get play out their way out.
1: Yeah, I have. I maybe a somewhat different take on game based episodes. I think anytime you introduce, I mean, fiction is itself a virtual environment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and tell so television shows, movies, they're already virtual environments. Anytime you introduce a new virtual environment inside of what's already a virtual environment, you take away some of the drama. And game-based things just tend to fall flat for me. It's very hard to introduce a game and have the audience as wrapped up in it as we would if it was a non-game scenario. One of the reasons is the audience either knows the rules of the game or they don't. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, so if you're a writer, you have a choice. Do I use the rules of a known game that the audience will be familiar with or not? Well, chess is one that a lot of people know. And so I think, if, if memory serves, back in the original series of Star Trek, one of the pitches that was made was for an idea where like Kirk has to play a chess game with human crew members mm-hmm. you know and if you're like your bishop gets taken oh guess what mr spock is dead or something like that and that would be about as much fun as as watching uh, you know bobby fisher play chess mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because the rules are known and yeah there's a little bit of added drama but it's so artificial that you'd be put in a situation where you, by Tremaine or someone that you've got to play chess for human lives. On the other hand, if the rules are not known, then the audience doesn't understand fully what's going on and they're having to devote brain power to figuring out this game. And the game may not be that inventive. The game, mm. I mean, you have to keep it down at a level where the audience can process it or it's going to be totally incomprehensible. But if that's the case, the game is going to be too simple, like in the Doctor Who episode that we haven't seen yet, the Celestial Toymaker, mm. where the Doctor and companions are forced to play these games, but they're like not the most creative games ever devised. <laughs> right. And so, or in the recent, in the episode of Doctor Who, we recently watched the Pyramids of Mars, where the Doctor is confronted with the riddle of the Osirens, And it's yeah. like, okay, everybody knows this riddle. <laughs> this is a simple, if you've ever done logic puzzles, you know the answer to this one. Right. And in this episode, we don't know the rules of this game. They're very loosely defined, and I find that detracts from the enjoyment. Also, as someone who knows about games, their four-sided dice are labeled wrong. There is no way to get a reading out of those dice the way they're labeled. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So one of the things I kind of want to mention is is the 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 writers and the producers of the show they all still think this was a great episode. Iris Steven Bear the showrunner commented uh, later on that he, he it was tough to find character stuff in this episode in terms of the writing. So he does admit some of the drawbacks, but they thought to almost to a man most of them think of this as one of the best episodes of the season. If a little hokey.
1: I agreed with uh, with Ronald Moore, who wasn't yet a staff writer at Deep Space Nine, but saw this before he became one and wondered if the writing staff had lost their minds. <laughs> well,
0: the, the the director
1: of this episode, David Carson, he remembers it as disappointing.
0: He, he, he mm-hmm. was actually somewhat disappointed with the execution. Uh, and the writer, Rappaport, uh, what was his name? Um, Fred Rappaport, one of the writers, he was disappointed that the original ending was re- rewritten to reveal that it was all a game, undercutting the whole thing, uh, because there was no real jeopardy in it. And we'll talk about that as we go through about how you know, and especially when we get to the end about this that does the making it all a game, as you're saying, Jimmy. Like that's another problem with making these a game. With holodeck episodes, and this is kind of a holodeck episode. One of the ways that they've always traditionally made those interesting is by Removing the safety protocols. Oh, the safety. In fact, Lower Decks recently made fun of that in a recent episode, the whole like removing the safety protocols. Well, that should never even be possible. But in this case, they they do it because you have to have drama if you're going to be on the holodeck. Well, this is a holodeck that you can't remove the safety protocols, apparently, and thus undercutting the whole thing. So uh, one thing I do want to mention, by the way, this was an Emmy-nominated episode. Uh, (laughs) okay Wow. for hairstyle (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so not for writing or directing anything like that um but we we do start with with this episode with the first time we see the dress uniform on ds9 uh, the the classic that i'm i'm digging here for good things to say
2: yeah the dress uniform is not the big dress like it is in tng it's actually kind of you know a longer tunic with pants right although of course you know Bashir forgets his. Gee, if only they had these magical devices that can take (laughs) energy and turn it into anything you want, like called a replicator. Yeah, You could just replicate a new one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Also, something that doesn't make sense, the reason they're getting into their dress uniforms is they're going to meet this race called the Wadi that the Vulcans have met on the other side of the wormhole. And so this is an important first contact experience and and captain cisco keeps referring to this as a yes. regularly as a first contact experience and it's like you use that word a lot i do not think it means what you think it means <laughs> think the you've... vulcans made first contact yeah. you're the uss cerritos, cerritos doing second contact dude <laughs> yeah.
0: that's, right. that's right so yeah that 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 whole like from the beginning they've kind of missed the boat on that uh, one thing I want to mention in this the very beginning is that we have this really nice scene between Jake and and, and Captain and or I'm sorry, uh, Benjamin Sisko. He's not Captain yet. Cisco uh, and Jake be- bonding uh, here yeah. at the very beginning, and this dad son moment about Jake having discovered girls mm-hmm. and the fact that he's learning about girls from Nog the Ferengi, who have very different ideas of of uh, the role of women in society than. The
2: enlightened twenty fourth century well, yeah. Earth. <laughs> of course, yeah. it, it, this, it's interesting seeing, of course, where Nog becomes eventually. To yeah. still remember him mm. as just the 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 fringy boy, the the he's the yeah. rogue, he's the troublemaker, and the bad you know, influence. Him, yeah, the bad influence, and think of later where his character again showing his great arc that of that character.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this is a really nice scene, and apparently, I mean. Cisco is talking to Jake as if he's going to have the talk with him about mm-hmm. the facts of life. Yeah. And and Jake says, oh, I already, he says, there are things you need to know about, about women. And it's like, oh, I already know about all those. <laughs> Nog told me. It's like, <laughs> given the Ferengi view of women, Captain Cisco is absolutely right to say, we need to have this talk anyway. I can see I have a lot of damage <laughs> control to do here. Yes. Uh,
0: how many times do, do dads uh, talk to their 12 year olds or 13 13- or 14-year-old sons, and the son goes, oh, dad, I know everything I need to know already. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> they do make the point that this is the first Official contact, federation contact with a alpha, I mean gamma quadrant species. They, mm-hmm. We've encountered other gamma quadrant species before. Tosk, <laughs> exactly. Yep. But this is uh, an official contact, so that's one of the reasons why they're all being formal. It is interesting to see Cisco, like both Dax and Kira, to Bashir, are like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal that you don't have your dress uniform. Cisco chews him out. That's actually, I yeah. kind of like that commanding officer. He's being. He's in command. He's in charge. So I, I kind of like that, that. That seeing that in Cisco, that that'd be uh, something
2: like in the military. You'd hear, "You better stand yeah. at attention when I'm yelling at you." you yeah, know? exactly.
0: <laughs> the wadi show up, and the leader is fallow, and he seems almost the. He undermines the whole formality of the moment by saying, "Games, games. I hear you have games. Show us your games." Uh, so he's only interested in games, and he's heard of the Balkans have apparently told him about quarks, which I. Uh, I, I wish I would love to see that conversation about the Vulcans
1: t- oh, telling I'm, him about quarks. I'm sure it was very derisively and only under compulsion that yep. they told him about quarks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Much eye
2: rolling was going on.
1: If you insist, there is a gaming establishment there.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I find a few things distracting about the Wadi. The first is the fact they're called the Wadi, right. because a Wadi is a real thing. Yep. Yeah. A wadi is a. In America, we call it a wash, mm-hmm. but in uh, the Middle East, a wadi is a dry creek bed that periodically floods. Mm-hmm. And if you're there when it when the flash flood occurs, you can be swept away. And so, in like the Bible, wadis, although they tend not to translate it as wadi in English, but wadis are symbols of treachery because Mm -hmm. of the flash flood effect. So it's like, you betrayed me like a wadi. Right. And then we have more geographical, topographical, outdoorsy language when the leader is named fallow, Mm -hmm. which is an unplanted field. Right. You're letting it lie fallow and it's like what with all the landscape language here you know i mean these are real things it's it's like naming your alien race the hammers and their leader is you know <laughs> nail the the, the the well or or i was, was going to say the
2: hinge or something yeah, like that
1: yeah. that's true that's
2: true yeah it is I, a little distracting the names i mean you you could do the, the headcanon thing of oh that's that's actually the uh, the the translator Universal yeah. translators kicking <laughs> in, and their name really isn't Wadi and Fallow, but it's just their names that mean Wadi and Fallow. Yeah, okay. sure. That's good headcanon, but it, that's about yeah. it.
1: They actually spell Fallow differently than the English word, but they, yeah, it, it's it, distracting it sounds, to hear it. It sounds like Fallow. Yeah. Also, we have their forehead writing, which I actually kind of like. I kind of right. like the fact they've, they apparently one of their cultural characteristics is this, they've got stuff written on their forehead. Yes. And I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it's their individual names in their language.
0: Yep. That would be very handy.
1: Let me tell
2: you. <laughs> it, it, rem,
1: it reminds me of a cover of a UFO magazine I, I saw back in the 1970s that was not the high end UFO magazine. Type. <laughs> it uh, it had a, a a photograph of someone dressed as an alien purporting to be an alien uh-huh. with uh, with like an equation written on his forehead, and the cover blurb said, "Anyone who solves this equation gets eternal life." <laughs> and it's like, ah, my this is nonsense meter is going off right now. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
0: when they when they do get to quarks, quark is very concerned with whether the wadi have money,
1: of course. Yep. Or trade items,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. So they go back and forth over various items of value from the Wadi culture, like these wooden pegs and some some kind of
1: priceless yeah. juice, sticks, juice, and stones, and, yeah. and stones that someone clearly left in their home personal rock tumbler.
0: Yep. <laughs> right, because uh, these are gems. They're they're th- these are the ones the Wadi have no use for them, but these are the things that uh, are clearly have value to Quark. Uh, these gems.
2: But but of course he doesn't he doesn't actually scan them to see if they're you know more than just like basic quartz, <laughs>
1: yeah, right? And they're not. And they've clearly they're not cut. They've clearly they're not raw. They've someone's clearly put these things in a rock tumbler for a couple of months. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I thought this was remarkably short-sighted of Quark. I don't care if I personally. Well, they tell him the first thing they offer is the sticks, and they've got yeah. a fancy name for them, and they say they are highly sought after in our culture and have many uses. And he says, "I'm thanks, I already got lots of sticks. And then they give him the nectar of whatever, and it has a really bad taste to quark. Mm-hmm. But apparently they find it exquisite. And it's like, I don't care. I mean, think like a businessman, dude. Right. I don't care if I personally want this. Mm-hmm. I can either sell it to Alpha Quadrant people as this is what's really highly prized in the Gamma Quadrant. Don't you want it? Right. Or, and there are bound to be people who like the taste of this stuff in the Alpha Quadrant, and it's got the exotic fact it comes from the Gamma Quadrant, Mm -hmm. or, since we're opening up trade relations with the Gamma Quadrant, if these sticks are highly sought after and this juice is considered exquisite, sell it back to the Gamma Quadrant people for (laughs) things you really want.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, especially since, again, they've got replicators. He can program the replicator to produce billions of them. And yeah, right. run their market and make tons of money, right? 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 That's the uh, the replicator problem, which we will deal with
0: perhaps at another time, I guess. Uh, but so the the Wadi are playing Dabo, uh, and they've Space quickly, roulette. yes, uh, and they've quickly figured it out. And they're they're hours later, they're still playing and winning. Cisco has given up on diplomacy; he's bored out of his mind and he leaves. He's been
1: sit- sitting around for six hours while they play games.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And Quark is losing his shirt, so he uh, basically tells Broik to, you know, the, and this is the first time we hear Broik's name, by the way, but he's one of the mm-hmm. other Ferengi who works for him, tells him basically to cheat. He's, it's the classic, you press a button under the table, and it causes the roulette wheel, the ball, to fall in the,
1: ro- the, the, the place you want it to on the roulette yep. wheel. And that and, gets him and- to lose. And the nice thing is you don't even have to actually put a button there. You just show his hand going under the table and the right. audience can infer what's happening. Exactly. By um, the way, mm-hmm. there there actually are situations. Cause, so Dabo is basically roulette. Yes. And so it depends on the spinning of a wheel and where things fall on that wheel. And there actually have been ways to do what the Wadi do in this scene. There was a mathematics professor who took a crew of people into a casino in Monte Carlo and watched the roulette wheels for like, a day or two, and took notes on how they fell, because the wheels were not perfectly balanced. right And if they, And after watching enough spins, they could detect which way the bias which way individual wheels were biased. And then they came back in and started betting, knowing the wheels biases, and were able to make more money than they should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the casino owners didn't know what was going on. They knew these people are somehow making way more money than they should, but they didn't know how right and because this was entirely naturalistic you know uh but they their solution was at night when the casino was closed change all the wheels just swap <laughs> them to a different machine oh, sure. and they don't know which has what bias now
0: wow yeah. yes that's good <laughs> when they came back that was i'm sure that was a surprise
1: they ended their expedition rather quickly
0: yes <laughs> so eventually Quark gets caught by the wadi and rather than punish him the wadi replace <laughs> they they do the same thing essentially uh, but they replace the dabo wheel with a new game they call from their their planet called chula
1: now, let's think of that's that name. Where the, that's where the Jafar are from, isn't it? Yeah.
0: The Chula. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, <laughs> the name Chula comes from, it's C-H-U-L-A, shoots yeah. and Ladders. That's right. where they, they got the name from, shoots and Ladders, mm. the, the small children's and they game. And that shows could you about have said,
1: They <laughs> should have said,
2: said Shula then.
0: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> and it, it, it uh, looks like you take a shoots and Ladders game and you just make it like six stories tall.
0: It's 3D shoots yeah. and Ladders, like 3D Chess, 3D yeah. shoots and Ladders.
1: <laughs> yeah, as chutes and ladders, by the way, now that's what we call it in America. Or in Originally, it was called Snakes and Ladders, yep. ah. and it was an, a game from ancient India that was supposed to teach moral virtue. You uh, don't want to do morally bad stuff or you will slide down a snake. Instead, you want to practice virtue and climb the ladders.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, that might have been a better game than... She- <laughs> My kids have been playing... <laughs> We're playing a very sophisticated game then. So as they start playing, it's the middle of the night, or frankly, it's probably close to morning by this point. And, yeah. uh, and we, we see Cisco asleep in his bed, and then he rolls over, and suddenly he's on the floor of a strange room in his uniform, yep. where, and, and there are three doors, and which door do you want to go through, basically, is his first thing. And his first instinct is, okay, I must be in a hollow program, right? So he mm-hmm. does the end program, doesn't work. And for some reason, this I found interesting. In addition to giving him his uniform, they've given him a tricorder. In fact, they give everyone who shows up with him a tricorder too.
1: I thought that was yeah, interesting. And they've changed their clothes because he was like in his pajamas, and now yeah. he's in his uniform again. Yep.
0: Yes, presumably the others. Uh, so Bashir, Dax, and uh, Kira are all there with him. They, these are all the ones who greeted the, the the Wadi as they arrive. So they're all. They eventually encounter. He does find Fallow, the, the head of the wadi, behind one door where he says, move along home. And that's the title. And we hear all, that oh, a lot. He over says it more
1: emphatically and than and that. It's like, <laughs> move along home, move along home, move along. <laughs> and he's very incoherent.
2: Yes. He is. What's funny, he's, he's more emphatic in the game than he is in real life. He's, you know, in, in real life, you know, on, in Quarks, he's kind of subdued and everything. But it's really right. emphatic in the game.
1: then he encounters brushear who's having a panic attack
2: well well, he claims that what he's
0: doing is he's yelling in the in his nightmare to wake himself up it's like don't you ever do that i'm like
1: no no No. who does that well i thought this was interesting so at the moment this is played as if it's brushear just being weird and slightly dislikable as normal yeah but I've been, in light of what we later learn about Brashear, I've been retconning his behavior Uh in the past. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know how in the very first episode in the pilot, he wants to get out to Deep Space Nine so he can do frontier medicine. Right. Well, he's genetically engineered illegally. Mm Mm-hmm. If I and it would wreck his Starfleet career if that were discovered, if he were taking lots of tests himself back at a normal medical facility, like if he was working at Starfleet Medical, they'd be doing scans on the staff all the time, yep, and so i I think the real reason he didn't care about frontier medicine, he wanted the frontier right where yes, where he would be less observed doing medicine, that's right, and the excitement of it was just a bonus and so here he betrays a greater awareness of lucid dreaming mm. than most people. If he if he thinks it's normal to be in a nightmare and just go, oh, I'm going to wake myself up, I mean, that either happens, if you're in a nightmare, that either happens or it doesn't for right. most people. Most people do not become lucid in a nightmare and then take conscious steps to wake themselves up. So I think the fact he becomes regularly lucid in a nightmare and is able to consciously take steps to wake up, is another sign of his genetic engineering. Mm-hmm. And he, this is a slip where, because people don't talk about their dreams very much with each other, he doesn't realize this is part of his genetic editing, and he assumes other people have the same thing.
0: Interesting. Another interesting character moment in the same scene is Kira, because... Both Dax and and Bashir find this fascinating. That they're they're apparently in some sort of test or game. They don't. Mm-hmm. They haven't figured it's a game yet, but they figure it's ma- some kind of maze. And oh, and, and and Dax like, oh, there doesn't seem to be any kind of immediate threat, Major. And she's like, and Kira says, oh no, I'm sure all you Starfleet explorers find this fascinating, but I'm a Bajoran administrator. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's a. Uh, it's funny that like we here we have this cast in stark terms, and we yep. get another one with Odo later on. This the difference between Starfleet and the Bajorans in this mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. on this station, and uh, yeah. so that, I I do like that moment.
2: And now that we're in the game, you know it's it's clear this is a it's basically it's an escape room before escape rooms were cool. You know, of course that's yeah. like the mm-hmm. thing now. You can go to these escape room stores, and you know it's puzzles, and you try to escape from the you know figure out the puzzles, figure out how to get out. Well, that's basically what this is. Is there a Chula escape room out there somewhere? Has someone created a,
0: a, a move-along home version of escape rooms? It wouldn't surprise
2: me. <laughs> wouldn't surprise
0: me. <laughs> so in the morning, Jake did, uh, Cisco had told Jake, in the morning, we're going to get up early. We're going to have a talk. And Jake is obviously dreading that. And so in the morning, Jake goes to Odo looking for his dad. Like, hey, my dad said we had to get up and do this talk. Where's my dad? And this is when Odo learns that all the senior officers are missing from the station. They they're they're not on the station, and the computer do, it doesn't have any record of them leaving. And here's another good moment. He goes to Ops, where Primin, the security officer, who by the way is in his last episode on DS Nine.
1: Oh, I like Primin.
0: I I do too. I actually kind of liked him. Uh, but he's unaware. And Odo says to him, "How long have you been a security officer? Have you lost many commanding officers?" And Primin's <laughs> like, "What?" <laughs> so, so that was that was good. I, I like that that moment with Odo there. Uh, Odo gets and, a couple of good lines in this one.
2: And, and notice that Priman is basically a stand-in for Chief O'Brien, right? Because Chief O'Brien Cole Meany, is not in this episode at all, and he basically kind of plays that same role, right? With, especially mm-hmm. with you know, like later he on when he transports of... Odo and things like that, he's he's kind of filling yeah. that same character, just a bit more foolish than. Chief yeah. O'Brien usually is. Yeah, he
1: has the same kind of working man vibe in this episode as opposed to the Starfleet security liaison vibe. Yep. Right, right.
0: Uh, we we are told in dialogue by, by Jake that the O'Briens are back on Earth for— uh, we, we aren't told in this episode, but in another episode, that it's Keiko's mom's 100th birthday celebration or stuff like that. I, That's why they're not there.
2: I do like Primen, though, when uh, Odo gets up to the, up to the ops, Constable Odo. <laughs> <Yeah. It's> like, <laughs>
0: that's security chief to you. Like only yeah. only Cisco gets to call me constable. <laughs> so at Quarks, uh, apparently they've been setting up the game forever. <laughs> like for I hours. I know it, it.
1: It make this this is an this is a pacing flaw because they. Initially, they've got this box that's like a replicator or something, and they open yeah. the box, and suddenly this enormous gaming structure is there, and yeah. then they just need to put a few little tokens on the second level of this thing, because only children come in on the first chap. Yes. So they 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 put a few tokens there, and, and then we have a lot of time apparently go by, and then they come back, and Fallow says, the board is ready. Place your first bets. And it's like, what took so long? The board materialized, <laughs> yeah. and then you put four tokens on it. Right. Well, they they, they right, actually put know. a
2: lot more tokens kind of throughout it, but we never see any of those other ones. It's just the four that represent the four dark yeah. or four officers. But,
1: and if it all magically pops out anyway, why don't you replicate the tokens where they need to be? <laughs> right, right. But the, also... Just uh, again, as someone, I mean, I have experience designing games. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have uh, published credits. Yep. In as doing design work on games, and the idea that you need to learn the rules of the game as you play is rock stupid. Yes, (laughs) because the the only way, I mean, you you may not know how to get out of a puzzle and have to figure that out on your own, but the basic rules of the game should be explained to people up mm-hmm. front because otherwise, they will. if if part of the fun of the game is figuring out the rules, they will want to play the game once. Right. Yeah, yeah. And once they've figured out the rules, it will be less interesting to them. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be interesting continuously, and you don't want their interest in the game to go down once they've figured it out. So right. the rules should be explained up front, and the game should be interesting once you know the rules.
2: And, and there are ways to play games where you kind of learn as you play, you know, I play the the card game, magic, the gathering. And and one of the easiest ways to learn that game is to sit down. Okay. Here's the basics. Now we're going to do a, you know, lay your cards down on the table and we're going to do a, you know, play through as you're explaining the rules. So it's not, you learn the rules as you play. It's the other way around. You're playing to learn the rules.
0: But here's the basics, even though that's the thing is you get the, you at least get the basics. You have these Uh, kinds of cards.
2: You use these cards this way. Now I'm going to show you how that works.
0: All Quark gets is um, roll the dice. Roll
2: the dice and place your bet.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Chula, did I win? Nope. He (laughs) he also gets to choose their path. So it seems that the basic way this game works is they're on this level. The goal is to work their way down to the bottom level. Presumably, the challenges increase in difficulty as they do that. Otherwise, there would be no point to only having children play the first level. The structure of the game seems to be, first, you need to choose whether you're going to take a safe path or a... The shorter more difficult path, yeah. Or or a riskier path. If you choose the riskier path, you double your winnings. People then place their bets on what they think is going to happen. Then you roll dice to see what kind of thing you're going to encounter, given the risk level you've chosen then the players encounter that thing. And here's where we have a huge gaping hole in the logic, because (laughs) the actual results of the encounter are determined by the players who are inside the Mm -hmm. game. right? But Quark is able to go several rounds without even realizing there are players inside the game. So how does the resolution of the encounter... I mean, it makes sense up to that point. You choose your risk level, you place your bets, you roll to see what you encounter. And then how does that get encounter get resolved on the outside the game level? You just have Fallow shouting Ala moraine and stuff.
0: Well they they kind of wink at that with like, oh, he's they're going to encounter the Chandra. And he's like, of course, like, is that good or bad? Neither, mm-hmm. both. And he's like, I don't understand. And, and the, so the Wadi just kind of speak in riddles. So Quark is just kind of blundering along in the game without knowing what's going on. And apparently, this game console that Fallow is using is, from from Quark's point of view, is deciding the outcome. Like you'd be a fool to play to keep playing a game where you don't even know how the outcome is determined.
1: Yeah, and it, we, the audience, get to see that because when they encounter the Chandra, a name that. We'll live in infamy. <laughs> it turns out to be a little girl that's playing hopscotch. Yes. And this is another problem that, it, that comes up in game-based episodes is even when you're trying to come up with a space game, oh, guess what? The Celestial toy maker has invented hopscotch, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. and it takes the edge off things. And so she's hopping back and forth, crossing a barrier that otherwise will shock you, Doing this little ritual, but at least Ira Steven Bear tells us, with tongue firmly planted in cheek, that this is the greatest moment in Deep Space Nine history. Alma Rain, come to four. Alma Rain, come to Elmarine, count four. Alma
0: Rain, then three, Elmarine, then three, Elmarine, three more. Alma Rain, if you can, can see Alma Rain, you'll, you
1: you'll come with me. Alma Rain,
2: third chap. Third chap yeah (laughs) you know what what's funny too is uh, avery brooks expression on this slips where you can tell he is annoyed that he has to do this but then he kind of hides it with his little kind of cock his head you know that 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 cisco does when he finds something kind of uh amusing shall we say yeah you just see for a brief flash of a second it's like do i really have to do this (laughs) Nana visitor is clearly unhappy
1: about this and you can hear it in your voice but because of who Major Kira is, that's consistent with yeah. her Completely character. character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, and it's that it, it's that earworm that just gets stuck in there, and it's like, oh. And this has come to represent all that is bad about this episode is that that little <laughs> chant.
1: But yeah, by the way, one other thing about not knowing the game and ha- the rules of the game and having to learn as you go mm-hmm. is you're setting yourself up for a Fizbin situation. <laughs> yes. Where they can just make up the rules to yep. suit themselves and 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 cheat you.
0: Right, that's true. That's true. So, uh, oh, I can't wait till we get to that episode of original series. That's a fun one. So Quark has <laughs> to choose their their path, short or long. As you mentioned, short path doubles apparel, doubles the winnings. He still doesn't know that real people are in the game until Odo comes into Quark's and says four officers are missing, and this is when he realizes somehow that his four game pieces are those four officers. Mm-hmm. He they kind of stares at the four pieces. We get a close-up view of the game pieces. And he has a realization and decides to take the safer path.
1: I, th- I And I like the fact they communicate this to us visually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still don't understand how they get from there are four missing officers to they're represented by these four pieces Right. But at least they don't belabor it by going over it verbally. They trust the audience to figure this out from the visual clues they're giving us.
0: Yeah. Uh, Quark does try to, by the way, get Odo to, to take over playing the game for him. But yeah, uh, but uh, Fallow says, nope, you can't. You, you, once you're in, if you if you quit the game, you lose your pieces and the game's over. So,
2: well, uh, that and yeah. it's interesting, too, because I, I think this is a point where it, it's made clear. He's uh, he doesn't say pieces. He says player. Right. They're always four players, that's and I right. think that's where that's where Cork makes that connection of mm. these four officers are missing, and I I don't have four pieces, I don't have four tokens, I have four players. Right.
0: This is about the same time in the story, also that Dax figures out finally that they're in a game, and because. The, oh, the Wadi do love games. Uh, duh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. What was the first thing they asked about?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, this new race from the Gamma Quadrant shows up loving games. And then suddenly you go to bed and wake up in some sort of labyrinth where you have to solve puzzles and riddles and mazes. Gee, I wonder if that's
2: connected. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, knowing Dax's character later, she comes to really like games, like the like playing Dabble and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah. oh, she should and be tongga. enjoyed by this. And Tong, yeah, it should be enjoyed by it enjoying this she should be you know thrilled by yes. this i wonder if anyone's figured out rules for tonga that would be interesting <laughs> sort of
0: yeah uh all right so they get to the next challenge which is they enter a room full of wadi including people that they've met before the with uh, in that initial contact
1: um, we've only got so many wadi costumes
0: <laughs> exactly yep. and they 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 laugh at the four players and the the room begins to fill with smoke and at first they're also says,
1: having, a, having a party. Yes. All, they've all got these drinks in their hands. They've got a table of food. Major Kira gets to throw a plate of the food on the floor in frustration. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, uh, Cisco smacks some food out of Bashir's hand because he's about to eat it. And He's like, don't eat it. Drink or eat anything because it might be poison. But uh, when the room starts filling with smoke and they start coughing, Bashir's the one who figures out the Wadi aren't coughing with the smoke and they're eating and drinking food. So maybe I could try a drink and that turns out to be the antidote from whatever it is that's causing them uh pulmonary distress shall we say
2: he's doing uh, his scientific his scientific research by it's not it can't be any worse than what we're dealing with now <laughs> right
0: and the classic star trek doctor who takes who takes the antidote uh on himself tests <laughs> it on themself. uh and it turns out it's the right thing to do shap four so they they get a they get to the next level and in Ops, Odo and Primin, meanwhile, are trying to pick up life signs on the Wadi ship, because they figure that must be where they are. They find some strange readings, and Odo wants to go on the Wadi ship.
1: Power readings.
0: Power yep. readings, yep. And Odo wants to be able to check it out. And this, uh, this is actually a really fun bit of exchange of dialogue here, the other uh, fun Odo moment, because Primin's mm-hmm. like, no, now wait a minute, Odo. You can't just go storming onto their ship without permission. And Odo's like, oh, is that Starfleet policy? Uh, that's right. Well, I'm not in Starfleet. Beam me over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just love that, that moment there, that, that, like, the radio gets a really great, uh, like, Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not Starfleet policy? That was such fun.
1: He plays it a little broadly in both ways though.
0: Yeah, he yep. does. He does. Um, so he gets on the Wadi ship. He finds the door with the game symbols, he opens it. There's a bright light and goes through the door and ends up in quarks. So and obviously
1: they They had set this up by saying the only thing we have that generates power signatures, anything like that, is a transporter.
0: Right. So it's some kind of transporter holodeck thingy, obviously.
1: Yeah. So once Odo gets to Quark's,
0: he wants to stop the game, but they're told uh, if you stop the game, you'll lose your players. And again, it's implied, or they, they assume that means... That you lose the players and they die. They sort of assume the worst here. Uh, Odo, Quark, everybody. The Wadi never threaten their lives. They just say, you'll lose your players.
1: But to up the drama, Quark makes an unfortunate role. So one of the players ends up being lost. And we have Attack of the Killer Lights. And (laughs) Bashir disappears. And so Bashir is presumably dead. And Fallow takes his piece off the board and ceremoniously tips it over. Yes. So it goes thunk, and Odo is freaking out and like saying, (laughs) I want this, I want that, I want that piece back. Right. Uh, And Fallow says something very interesting, which is if you'd care to take his, meaning Quark's, if you care to take his place after the game, that can be arranged. And that's actually, you think about it in hindsight, that's a sign that Bashir is not dead. Right. That yeah, I can replace him, just not in this game.
0: Yes, well you you can have it back when you when you play the game.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, Bashir so totally uh,
0: foreshadows his own demise in the game by talking about how he finds the the life threatening stakes of the game exhilarating. So that obviously means mm, something bad course. is going to happen to him. <laughs> so uh, Quark, having lost a player, decides to take the de- instead of taking the safe route. And this is a kind of an interesting quark moment. He he says, I'm going to shortcut problems. I'm going to take the double peril shortcut because, he says, it cuts the number of rolls. I mean, he doesn't actually come out and say this, but he says the odds favor this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that would make sense if you knew how each (laughs) encounter was being resolved and what the chance of a successful encounter or what the die rolls for the encounters even mean. Exactly, yeah.
0: But he says, uh, you know, we'll cut the the number of potential bad rolls, and and that means that we get resolve the game quicker. And, and in fact, it's it's a bad bet, or he it doesn't work out because it doesn't because yep. mm-hmm. when he rolls, it's diallo, which means you must sacrifice one so that two may live, and or uh,
1: one so that the others, however many there are, may live.
0: Yep. Right. Right. And uh, so Quark has to agon- agonize over which one he's he's supposed to sacrifice. He ends up doing the old Ferengi uh, groveling uh, bit that they do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> begs not to be made to choose. And so Fallow agrees and says, uh, "All right, we'll make you choose. The game will choose for you at random." Yep. And that is, uh, of course, Quark doesn't know what any of the pieces represent, who they are. So why? So it's no yeah. different of the choice. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, in the game they they the Cisco and the others hear Bashir's calling them. Dax opens a door and finds a cavern that begins shaking when she goes in. Oh, but Bashir's voice
1: lures her into the cavern.
0: Right, yeah. right. And as soon as she goes in, she falls and hurts her leg and shap six. So I guess that means we're at the next level here. The cavern is shaking about to collapse. Dax is injured. They come to a crevasse, which is not that wide. Cisco and Kira could make the jump, but Dax
1: can't. So basically, at this point, we are in what amounts to a slow motion action sequence. This is very, very slow. It goes on for minutes, but it obeys the key rule of action sequences, which is nothing will happen to advance the plot until this is over. (laughs)
0: Right. Well... We have a couple of uh, exchanges here. Dax wants them to leave her behind. Don't let sentiment get in the way of command decisions. And I'm like, have you ever heard of no man left behind? I mean, that's not yeah. sentiment. That's just you know, good morality. Uh, although given what happens later on with Worf and Dax, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. prefigurement. She says, if you were injured, I'd leave you behind. <laughs> and Zisco gets the line, I'm glad I'm not injured. You're coming. is <laughs> Yeah.
1: Be- I also wonder how serious she is about that, or is yeah. that just her goading him to go
2: because mm-hmm. she thinks he needs to go?
0: I think that's probably it. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: they come to a narrow ledge.
0: They shuffle along. They fall off. Uh, it, Classic of scene of
2: the of the narrow ledge. You know, I mean, you seen yeah. the, we've seen this all the way back in the '60s in Doctor Who. I mean, this, this is <laughs> yeah. not a new not a new scene by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Right, and so they they all three of them fall off the ledge at
1: once. And so
2: here here we
1: have bad game design problems, right. because we're told that the system will be programmed to randomly select one of them for sacrifice. Yep. And the system is so bad at its job that <laughs> it allows the three, it, it, it appears that it selected Dax, right. so that the other two, in order to escape, are going to have to leave her. And that's the method of sacrifice. But the system is so bad at its job, it doesn't just send killer lights after her the way it did Brashear and take her out of the game. Instead, it has this elaborate scenario that allows all three of the people to resist its efforts and thus resist the instructions that the game has been given to randomly remove one of the players. And so the players are able to force it into an all-three-forfeit situation. Contrary to the game's programming. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's the thing is, is, in what way is Quark at, at all
0: in control of anything here? <laughs> he's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a weird, yeah, silly game. But in in the end, they, all four of them, including Bashir, appear in Quark's. Quark thinks he's won. Hey, they're back. That means we've won. And Fallow, you know, because they're not dead. Mm-hmm. But Fallow says, they were never in any real danger. They, you lost. <laughs> they fell and you lost. Yeah. They didn't get to the end. And this is what I was talking about before, how it completely undercuts the whole story because there was never any real tension. They were never in any real danger. So it was all, they could have just sat down and that would have been it. You know, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. nothing happens here, you know, in the end.
1: Well, I mean, they do at one point try to stop playing the game from the inside. And that's when they encounter the gas. Because right. in the in the party scene, Cisco Fallow appears and Cisco tells them we're not playing anymore. Right. But then the gas forces them to play. I actually kind of am of two minds about the it's just a game thing. On the one hand, I like it because it is a game and these people have an appreciation of games. And so it can make sense that we've assumed, not knowing their culture that this is a more dangerous situation than it really is mm-hmm. because we don't know them and they're clearly obsessed with games. Maybe they take them too seriously and are into blood sport. <laughs> but actually, I mean, we have gladiator matches in our own history, mm, right. you know, but it turns out, no, these, these are reasonable people for up to a certain point. They're not <laughs> actually going to hurt anybody with their games. And so, you know, I I, I kind of like that. Um, I like the fake out on that. On the other hand, it does seem just a little too cute.
2: Right. Well, and let, let's be honest. You have, these are the four main characters of this show. They're not going to die in this episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> what do you think this is?
1: Firefly? Yeah, Anna, right.
0: <laughs> so, oh, too soon. So the Wadi go to leave and Cisco is mad at them. For, for putting them through this. But Odo points out that they went this all happened because Quark admitted to cheating the Wadi at Dabo and that's why they brought out the Chula game. So really it's Quark's fault that they ended up in this game, I suppose. No, totally. Um although who knows if Ch- Chula would have come out anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The one thing they completely drop off though is the the Wadi basically kidnapped these four people without their you know, without any Yeah say so on their part they didn't have any they didn't submit to the game they just all of a sudden were in the middle of it and the, why are you just going to give them a pass on that
0: yeah yeah i mean it, well, it, well cisco's about to get mad at them but that's when it gets undercut by odos pointing out what cork did and so they, they that yeah then they got to get a pass because of that that still doesn't excuse what they did
1: no but Here in the Alpha Quadrant, we have a concept called kidnapping, (laughs) and we actually have laws about this concept.
2: You should be aware of them for the future. Yeah. Yeah. In the future,
0: don't. Yeah.
2: Yeah. If you take a kid against its parents' uh, permission, take it to an ice cream shop, it's still kidnapping. (laughs) The kid's going to enjoy it, but it's still kidnapping. (laughs)
0: Right. So the Wadi uh, leave to head back home, and Quark chases after them because he wants a license for Chula for the bar. And that's it. Wah 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 wah. Yes, the horns of oh, humor. So, any final thoughts about Move Along
2: Home, Father Corey? So, when Odo beams over to the Wadi ship, it is the same exact set as the prison transport in the previous episode, The Passenger. <laughs> that's the true. literal same set. I think this set shows up, if I remember right, at least one more time this season. So, I get it's their generic alien ship set. Well, in the model I think is the
0: generic alien ship model ship, that they had for the exactly. season two
1: yeah jimmy this episode was a budget buster hmm. as a mid-season episode they built these new sets and props and costumes and they apparently this is even scaled down from from a much more dramatic episode that they couldn't have afford to do hmm. but even so it really put strain on their budget unexpectedly because they weren't expecting it to be as expensive as it was and I think maybe the sets are one of the things that some of the production staff liked about this, but the best I can say about it is it's not as bad as the storyteller
0: <laughs> Oh my yes, yes, oh that's boy coming that's coming all right uh so as we wrap th- actually i want to uh, uh, before we wrap things up, uh we'd have some listener feedback that I'd like to Pick share them. with you Ooh. and. Let's start with, uh, on our episode, Enterprise episode, Cold Front, episode 117, we got an email from Casey, who writes, in that episode, Jimmy dinged Archer for taking an intercom call from T'Pol. However, she's equally, if not more, at fault. She's talking about a covert mission across the ship's intercom when there's a suspected enemy on board. It reminds me of Khan, where Spock and Kirk have, of course, developed a secret code to use. If one of them's ever forced to make communication or the communication line is unsecure. And this gets back to the common complaint about Starfleet not acting with even minimal military protocol. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, T'Pol is is equally at fault in that one. Michael wrote on Facebook, he says, My wife and I just finished the first season of Enterprise. The temporal Cold War storyline is exhausting, as you said. And also, the desire to invent new species every other week when there are plenty of underdeveloped species already in canon could be showing first contact with. Mm-hmm. But with apologies for not having watched any of the new CBS All Access track, I think I'd say Enterprise actually had the best first season out of all track, or at least better than TNG, DS9, and Voyager. That doesn't make it a better series than any of those, but there were fewer throwaway episodes, and the actors, for the most part, seemed to be relatively comfortable with their characters. What do you think?
1: Except for the original series, I would agree. Enterprise's first season is less shaky than Next Gen and DS9.
2: Yeah. And Voyager. I yeah. will say that Lower Decks is probably has the best first season so far.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been enjoying yeah. it. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you'll get to,
0: uh, if you're not a patron yet, uh, you'll get to enjoy it perhaps next week. I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I, I got one last bit of feedback on our episode on the Discovery uh, episode. Into the forest I go, Matthew wrote on Facebook, Did you guys watch Fringe? There's a lot of parallels with the second half of the first season of Discovery and the series Fringe with imposters in a parallel universe and alternate versions of the main cast. Who was the showrunner for Fringe? Alex Kurtzman,
2: the showrunner mm-hmm. for Discovery. I was a huge Fringe fan. Same here. That's one yes. of those that's one of those series that's on my list to watch. I just have never sat down and watched it.
0: It's it's also another one, one of those series where it it's my six-episode rule. Just stick with it for six episodes, and then it yeah. will really hit you. Also, Leonard Nimoy's in it uh, later on. Yeah. <laughs> As right. the
1: sometimes likable, sometimes evil Dr. Fooms. I mean, Dr. <laughs> Bell. <laughs> 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 all
0: right. So thank you uh, all for that feedback. It's really appreciated that you sent that in. As we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Ambrose B., Jacob G., Joshua B., Steve M., and Levi P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Move Along Home? <laughs> is this your favorite? I'm sure this is somebody's favorite episode somewhere. Uh, so I want to hear from you. Uh, I mean, because there's something for everyone. Uh, if you have a different opinion or different, a different thought, uh, let us know. Let us know by commenting on the show at slash trek or our Facebook page at Starquest starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And as I mentioned before, we'll next time we'll be the, the discussing or we'll be releasing our discussions of lower deck season 1 that we've been having uh if you are a patron you've been hearing us over uh, as lower deck season 1 has gone along we've been having discussions and releasing those as they happened on patreon as a special exclusive for you uh but now that the season is over we're going to bundle all those together and we'll release that for the general listening audience so you can get an idea of the sorts of benefits that come with being a patron so that's next time and then after that the following week is discovery season 3 that's right we'll be watching discovery season 3 each episode as it comes along and be releasing our discussions a couple days after i forget which day of the week
2: discovery's on Thurs- comes out thursday just just like a uh, lore is it comes out All thursday right.
0: and you'll and you'll get our discussions of those uh, every Monday as the season goes along. So until next time, Father Cory thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and
1: live long and prosper.
0: And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, And remember, move along, move along home! <laughs> move along
1: home! You <laughs> had said something about moving along home. <laughs>
2: move along home time to move along home this is not what I signed up for